Why, awake, am I still haunted by figures draped in static shrouds and breathing air awash with all their artifice? Why, awake, do I still travel, chasing, fleeing, immaterial forms that want my soul, my soul that lives in my attention? Shadows stick to your dimension. Whoa, that was like a poetry slam delivery <laughs> of that poem, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, welcome back to Solacene, everyone. We are happy to have you. This is the next addition to our storytelling series. And this week are some topics that seem very poignant with the state of the world. You think? I think so. I guess our topics are like nicely clumped. Today mm-hmm. we're talking about immersion and all its various pros and cons. Mm-hmm. We're talking about our relationship to characters in the various popular mediums of the day. And we're talking about the Solacene Theatre that we're designing. Are we? No, we're not. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to mention that because that's a question that's been postponed for next week. Because otherwise, today's episode would have been very crowded. Very long. There would have been a lot of diagrams, a lot of (laughs) pulling up of references that we did not have time for. So we're going to add that next week. But our fourth question is about comedy in the solo scene, which as an aspiring stand-up comedian (laughs) is a very exciting conversation topic for me. And just as a little note before we get into the discussion, Field Notes. Field Notes is this semester's version of the zine. It's entirely digital. It's entirely free. You can sign up in the description. It's like a weekly, a weekly letter that we send to you. Sometimes there's drawings. Sometimes there's pictures. Sometimes there's diagrams. I'm very into the diagrams lately. Yeah. And so you'll receive that in your inbox and we will be in touch with you. So please (laughs) join us because they're really fun to write. I don't really write much, but this is a great outlet for me. All right. I do write a lot. So uh, I don't know, the speaking in this podcast is a good outlet for me, I guess. Mm -hmm. We're starting out by talking about our relationship to characters on TV versus in movies. And this is a question simultaneously so niche and so broad that I, I actually had a, had a weird time trying to answer it or really come up with any articulate thoughts about it. Where I started really was children, because obviously that's where we all started with TV and movies. Mm-hmm. I just had this thought, which was that kids might have a better sense of what is real and what is fictional than even do adults which seems kind of uh, counterintuitive to our understanding of, I don't know, maturity and how Mm -hmm. we interact with art and media and stories. But I just always remember, and just from what I've seen with children, when they're watching TV, they're like, oh, this is the funny thing that's on the box. Mm -hmm. And you kind of intuitively know, and I think it might be because kids' programming is brighter, Mm -hmm. TV and movies, and even when it's humans and not cartoons, they are not acting like kids see humans act in the real world for the mm-hmm. most part whereas our stories which we tend to follow as adults typically are much more naturalistic they might be a little bit more extreme you know they're criminals or whatever mm-hmm. but they're typically humans acting like humans yeah um so this is where i started because i just think that as a kid you don't feel that much of a difference between your tv characters that you watch and your movie characters mm-hmm. maybe this is also because kids tend to rewatch movies so much yeah and kids movies are often much shorter the tv shows are a similar budget as a way to sum up what they are (laughs) like they're a similar the production is is quite similar yeah yeah level of art (laughs) 
Whereas with adult TV shows, there's quite a lot of variation in these shows. That's true, that's true. But very few of them reach cinema. Prestige. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them do. Right. Um, I had a quote that was kind of pertinent to this, which was, this is all over the place. Um, can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street? Which is a song that we sing quite often. And I was going to recite the whole poem at the start of this. Okay. But at the start of the episode. But I thought it would sound a little bit too kind of horror movie-esque. It probably would have. You know how they always take the, do, sometimes do, the lullabies. Like it would have, yeah. And have some, been some indie singer doing them behind the, yeah. the chilling imagery. Yeah, someone would like tune in for the first time and think it was one of those murder mystery podcasts. Exactly. They'd be like, uh oh. Yeah. But what that, happened on what Sesame happened Street? To Big Bird? But that line in particular, <laughs> can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? I just thought it was funny because Sesame Street, in that song, it's almost like this, this um, surreal, it's like the muffin theatrical man. muffin man. Yeah, it's like yeah. it doesn't exist. Even mm-hmm. in the, the show's logic, it's like, well, this is a set. You know, yeah. I love watching Sesame Street because it looks so. Uh, yeah, unreal, theatrical, yeah. And yes. I just thought that's is kind of a solo scene analog there. Yeah, I think so as well. I like the point you made about there being a bigger distinction between reality and fiction and kids yeah, exactly. programming. Yeah. Kids' brains actually do have a hard time distinguishing though, as far as I know, about childhood psychology. And adults do have more of an awareness. But I think because of what we watch, like an adult watching Sesame Street very much knows that it's fake. But kids know that it's fake, but it's much more influential on them. Of course it's influential. But what I mean is like adults watching, let's say, I don't know, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. It's like we know it's not real mm-hmm. more than kids know that Sesame Street is not real. Yes. But we kind of take it for granted that our brain can discern it from reality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think... I can't. Yeah. There's this hypothesis that adults cannot tell the difference and that when we, it was this study done during isolation, which is a very good time to do a study like this, on whether or not engaging with a show like Friends or The Office or whatever your comfort show is actually benefits you mentally from the negative impacts of isolation, be it self-inflicted or... Yeah. yeah. And the hypothesis is that, yes, it would help replace human interactions. And the study proved it or confirmed it. There was a correlation between feeling less lonely and watching TV. But then my hypothesis, <laughs> and I talked to several of my psychology friends to see if I was just a rando hypothesizing. And they said, no, there's actually a lot of research into this as well. And what this is, is my hypothesis that it kind of delays the feelings of loneliness because when you almost break the simulation that, oh, these are just people acting on a screen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it almost makes the, the fallout much worse than if you had have just confronted the fact that, okay, I'm going to be lonely. Okay, I'm isolating. Maybe I need to interact with people. If you had have confronted it up front, it would have been better than this fallout of like delayed isolation. Right, I got you. Yeah. That's why I ended my poem with shadows stick to your dimension. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know, who's the character in The Office? Pam. Pam's two-dimensional. She is. I mean, she might be a really well-written character. I don't know, I've never seen the show. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying she's a two-dimensional uh, constructed in terms of her writing, but she doesn't exist. 
Like Pam's yeah. not real. Exactly. But uh, I'm sure we can still laugh with Pam, cry mm-hmm. with her, you know, have fun with her, whatever they do in offices. Yeah. But Pam's just spam. Mm-hmm. Pay imitation of ham. Yeah, this is your inner poet coming out, Mr. <laughs> Seuss. But yeah, my like answer to this question, the difference between TV and movie characters, like our relationships to them, is that I really do feel like with movies, we watch it as a piece of art for the most part. Unless you're a kid, you're not rewatching and rewatching it and like having those ups and downs with the characters. And like, yeah, you can relate to the character for that two hour period, but really it's not the same as watching a TV show. Watching a TV show, especially if you're watching something that comes in every week, you're literally scheduling like the time to hang out with these people, yeah. these characters. You see what's going on with them. Yeah, and then there's a lot more mundane things, so it makes you feel even more connected to them. Like, oh, I'm just watching them wash their dishes and have a conversation with their partner, and it's just a lot more intimate than in a film where it's more of like a highlight. It's more like a piece of art in a cinema or a theater. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the if we were to to generalize, Mm -hmm. what I was interested in was the fact that they're not actually two distinct categories. Maybe they perhaps Mm -hmm. once were, but like the most popular movies today, of course, are all a long serial that Mm -hmm. resemble much more classic television than they do classic film. Mm -hmm. And this has been, you know, for as long as there's been movies, there's been sequels where people are like, oh, I know that guy. I've seen him before. Or adaptations. I've read him before. That's, That's interesting. And I actually think that television, looking at it historically, because I mean, it's important to note that both these different mediums, if we're to call them that, have only been around for like a blink in the in the grand scheme of storytelling. Mm-hmm. TV resembles more mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, a cast of characters and let's see what they're up to today. And and also books, I think, was often, you know, comics. Those mm-hmm. were around before television. Um, movies are more like paintings or mm-hmm. plays. They're a one-time thing. Yeah. And... They're more discreet like that. I think the biggest difference today is how we consume these, and we'll get into these a little bit later when we talk about immersion, binging, you know, compared to it being a a one-time or a a once-a-week event or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like a whenever-I-want event. Like That's that's something hugely different. Um, I think that movies... The way that I feel about them is that the characters feel more like they are in a story because it's enclosed. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, I think, is just the like the logistical... Most often before we go see a movie in the theaters or sometimes when you see it on streaming, you'll wonder, how, oh, how long is it? Mm-hmm. So it's like 95 minutes. And we know that this character is only going to be with us or rather we're only going to be with them kind of peering in mm-hmm. to their uh, exploits for about 95 minutes. Yeah. With a television show, especially when it's still ongoing, mm-hmm. you you don't know. Like when Stranger yeah. Things, I don't know if that's finished or whatever, but like when it first started, no one knew how many seasons season. it was going to go yeah. for. So it's this weird thing. And also with that, uh, I don't think even just television resembles more mythology or comics or, you know, earlier forms of uh, stories, but it resembles more real life because... Mm-hmm. As I say, you don't know when it's going to end. You spend more time with the characters. It's a lot more intimate. As you mentioned, you see them washing the dishes. You see them all, um, like if it's a sitcom or something, you will see them all in the same locales in the same way that in real life you have your cast of characters that you see in the office or at the coffee shop or at the bar or whatever it may be. Like that's how TV is. Mm -hmm. So that's another similarity. And also cancellation, the dreaded cancellation, Mm -hmm. is like death. 
You never know Basically. when it's, you never know when it's going to come, and it's when true. it does, it kills the characters. Yeah, yeah, it's a really a it's a lot parallel. more. Yeah, it's a lot more naturalistic, I guess is the word for it, and I don't like that about it <laughs> because I feel like it pulls our mind in too many different directions. And a little bit more about the psychology that I was reading into is like, okay, I visit. You're a bad example. You're my husband. But I visit my friend once a week. I see her for like three hours. Yeah. And it's not even once a week, every week. Sometimes we have to cancel or what have you. So it's you. like a TV show, basically. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm watching Seinfeld every single day for a year. Yeah. Just one episode a day, but it's constant. And so that neural pathway of like the social desire in your brain gets really strong. And it's stronger than the one of me seeing my <laughs> real friend. Yeah. So it's like that experience is almost more legitimate and more real than seeing my friend but that never happens with the movie even no. if it's the mcu it's like you get to watch your favorite movies a few times a year your favorite series or whatever it is but it's still not going to ever really take over real life i agree with that i do think that can be a problem so i was kind of trying to answer it in the solo scene way as in yeah. how are these things in the solo scene yes. and i think that television is a great art form i think there's a lot of tv mm -hmm. shows that are just as um, beautiful as, as many films they can have a, a ton of artistic merit both in their writing and in their, the cinema of it even mm -hmm. if it's on a small screen I think that there's also a lot of television as you alluded to with the variation that is bad for us and I don't think we need to name names but uh, certain, certain uh, days of our lives but I was thinking like so in the solo scene I asked myself like what okay, will they be sure. like in the solo scene and I said, there won't be soap operas that go on for 30 years. Because it really feels like <laughs> when you sit down to watch an episode of a soap opera, I don't know how it is in other countries, but you watch UK soap operas and I've watched a lot of American soap operas. The lowest low. It's just like, it's basically those paperback books that are sold in supermarkets. They're like <laughs> turned out so quick and just so... It doesn't even make sense, but you're sucked in because you've been committed to it for 15 years. That's what I don't like about... I like when when art has an end in sight because otherwise yeah. I just assume it's to make money and to mm -hmm. keep people hooked. I assume that's the only uh, purpose of it, like a drug or something. Yeah. The so best yeah. TV shows start with an end in sight. Yeah, that's a good um, Like Seinfeld, I know that they set out and I think they said they wouldn't do more than 10 right. seasons. And then they were like, when the ninth season rolled around, they were like, no, there's no more story yeah. to keep but making it just for money. narrative ones, I mean, though. Yeah. Because there are certain shows also that... At one point, it was like, this is gripping and maybe it's genuinely, genuinely touching on the human condition. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel this in the same way that I'm reading literature and I feel that. And it's, yeah. it's meaningful and it's artistic. But you can almost see the point in which um, it just becomes a bunch of nonsense where yeah. you keep adding cliffhangers so that you watch next week. And yeah, so we'll you bring watch characters back to life. Yeah. Just things that don't make any sense, <laughs> but it's because it's like, oh, well, that's what people want. Yeah. There's always a turning point with shows unless they're very intentional with this oh, is the story I want to tell, like Sherlock or Shit's right. Creek all did that. That's actually the other the other point about um, this is what fans want. Mm -hmm. Television is much more beholden, I think, because of its uh, its form yeah. to uh, fan demand and like uh, fan service and things like mm -hmm. this. There's almost a closer relationship between the viewers of the TV show to the creators, the cast, the writers, etc. than there is with a discrete film, of course, mm -hmm. because that's more of a one-time production yep. rather than an ongoing thing. And I don't, I really don't think the former is a, is a good thing because no. it's almost like the antithesis of, of art, which is a, a creative vision 
enacted. Yeah. This is just like, I don't know, some, some weird circus uh, populism. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I do. Think, um, Sherlock was one of those shows that had that as an issue. The third season? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Supernatural was a, is a famous example where it's like the fans have a weird sway. Yeah. Um, I like this, uh, this quote always with regards to writing, but I think it, it goes with any creative act, which is that like if you show someone a draft, like someone who's not a writer, mm -hmm. um, this sounds like I'm not trying to be like arrogant about it because I'm not a, a good writer either. But if you show someone a draft um, and they will most often and they read it, they'll most often be able to, to tell if something's up but they won't be able to tell how to fix it because they're mm -hmm. not a writer. So it's like that with, with TV shows, I think, and fans yeah. and things. I mean, taking into account what will please audiences, you know, what's mm -hmm. basically what's good um, makes a lot of sense. But in terms of having like a referendum, on like, yeah. oh, should we bring this character back? That doesn't make any sense because no, it's not artistic. It um, one more point I had on these things in the solo scene is that to replace the MCU... I think that that's not a great thing. There won't be these super long franchises happening in the solo scene. Okay. But those would be replaced by longer TV shows. Like I'm imagining instead of like Sherlock's the only reference I have for like those hour long three episodes in a season, like kind of like that. But the MCU, it's like, okay, it's like it would still be a TV show. It wouldn't be a box office thing. The box office would be films, but I think there could be more short films, more one-off productions shown in the cinemas whereas right now there's not really a space for short films because it's like it isn't a tv show but also isn't a feature length so i think a little bit more just art in the cinemas and then the long narratives can kind of go to tv and then cut the the tail end of media that is the soap opera and the <laughs> i see what you mean yeah <laughs> um so it's like cinemas you go there to see nice movies TV, you go there to watch nice TV shows. Yes. I mean, my only problem really with the Marvel movies is that they squish cinemas so that there's not, no room for anything else to be playing. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a really sad thing. But I feel like they could be on TV and it's almost a similar experience. Perhaps there's viewings. Yeah, I think they can be in cinemas. I think it's, yeah. I think it's genuinely a good thing that people go. Um, like not, not many other movies get people to go to the movies. So I think it's a, it's a nice thing that there's a story that everyone's watching together. Generally speaking, much like, similar to Stranger Things, mm -hmm. similar to how people used to read Dickens' episodic, mm -hmm. similar to, I don't know, how people used to tell the Odyssey. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a nice thing. I, it does touch into my last point on this, which was that in the solo scene, TV, because I think it infects TV. I know we're talking about the Disney movies and they're kind of famously um, focus-tested, focus-grouped. Mm -hmm. But I think TV, especially... Um, when I scroll through Netflix, sometimes it just seems so kind of algorithm driven and it's just like soulless. appealing to the basic human instincts. It's like they look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the bottom <laughs> part of the pyramid. And they're like, yes, let's make TV shows about this instead of TV shows about self-actualization and family and love. They're like yeah. survival. Yeah, I definitely think they appeal Food. to the, the bad parts of our brain. Yeah. So I think in general, in the solo scene, TV will, will be a little bit more. Just real, yeah. real stuff. Not just uh, like me or you could make a Netflix show right now. We could. We could pitch one and it, it would be. Well, I mean, I could probably make a list right now of things that I think are on Netflix and they probably are right. This will be a game. 
Okay. I'm going to list five things that are probably shows on Netflix, <laughs> and you can double check on your TV. Okay. Dogs. Yeah. That's just um, the name of the show? Dogs yeah, and exclamation points? They're all going to be like this. Dogs. There will be one just called, like, Dallas. There's a new <laughs> one called... Um, can I name one? Yeah. Bodies. Bodies? Yeah, because yeah. I think that's what all the thumbnails are. Netflix knows that sex sells, and that's yeah. what all their shows are. Exactly. Bodies. I like that. <laughs> so um, we've got Dogs, Dallas, Bodies. Salt. Yeah, Salt is a show. Salt is a show? But the, the next one's going to be um, how, to, how to Hide a Body. Because there's, okay. there's always a, a crime show, right? Yeah. So I think those are the five. Yeah, it's like inside out. There. It's like inside out without five emotions. That's yeah. what Netflix yeah. with their shows. So you might not be Dallas, but it's definitely Michigan or something <laughs> like just a random state. Um, speaking of states, this week's organism of the week is. Don't tell me what I've been doing with this picture. I don't know what you've been doing with it. Hiding it. Oh yeah, you've been hiding that all day. Yeah, because it's so funny. <laughs> Are we ready to see it? The beaver, and it says, mmm, lunch. It's a really kind of nicely drawn picture of a beaver with maybe some elongated limbs gnawing on a trunk of wood, as, as beavers do. Yeah, so Aaron and I have been talking a lot about the state, the nation state that is Canada, <laughs> and the aesthetics of this nation state. <laughs> Call me out on the podcast. And so I was thinking and thinking about what to choose for an organism of the week, and we both agree that the beaver is a very regal symbol. Yeah, I think it represents I the sovereignty of Canada. Yeah, it's a lovely symbol. Yeah, I mean, you saw how excited I got this weekend when I thought I saw a beaver. Mm-hmm. Turned out to be just a groundhog. Groundhog. But I love those too. Yes. So the beaver is the organism of the week. Did you notice something about the color of their teeth? It looks like pink or red. Pink. Apparently, beaver teeth are orange. Oh. <laughs> what? So beaver teeth I'm, are orange. I'm uh, colorblind on the podcast. We didn't learn that. Um, there's two species within the genus that is castor, which is the French for beavers, so it's confusing to me. But anyway, two species exist. Um, they live all over the northern hemisphere, and they're the second largest living rodents after capybaras, right. which has been on the show before it sponsoring has. us. We're really going all the way through the rodents. Yeah. Their teeth... Never stop growing. They are the one of the only animals that modify their habitat. So they cut down trees with their teeth, and they create dams. They create shelters. They're herbivores, which I didn't realize. You always picture them like catching fish, but I apparently never not. pictured that. I did, but they <laughs> <laughs> beavers catching fish. I don't know. Close the damn door. Yeah, that's my favorite beaver joke. Mm-hmm. So they are herbivores. They mate for life. Okay. Interesting. And their lifespan is 10 to 12 years. Have you ever seen one in real life? I have seen a beaver. And a dam? I have seen a dam. Oh. It's very exciting when I've you come never across seen one. one. I really, really want to. Yeah, I'm really into marmots lately, groundhogs. Yes. And I feel like they're closely related, but they actually aren't. But anyway. Have you ever touched a beaver pelt in a store or something like I that? I haven't. Mm. But I would love to feel one of their tails. I think that's part of the big story of Canada with regards yeah. to the beaver as an icon of patriotic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it because of the trading company and the furs and all that? 
I don't think we should get into the fur trade okay. today. But yes, <laughs> it is a symbol of Canada, perhaps for some of the wrong reasons. But I'm happy to have an animal as a symbol right. rather than a leaf. Did you want to get into the story of... Maybe we can talk about the next week, actually. The story of the country. Okay. I mean, stories of countries. Yeah, National we don't anthems, need to get into the story. Flags, yeah. Not the particular <laughs> histories of different countries, but just the idea of it in the modern world because... Talked a little bit about identity on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Used to be a key part of identity, isn't anymore for the most part. Yeah. Now we've got chumps like us critiquing the uh, national flags and anthems and things like this on our two-bit podcasts. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, the next question was about the pros and cons of increased immersion in storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think the pros are quite obvious to this, Yeah. which is that you can experience the art fuller and... Uh, especially as intended by the artist. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing about going to the building and seeing the painting on the roof rather than just seeing a picture of it online, which is still nice, but mm-hmm. it's not the exact same because you're not immersed in it. You're not physically there. You're not smelling those those old enamels. Mm-hmm. Or obviously with movies, as David Lynch would uh, would tell us so fiercely, we shouldn't watch them on our phones because that's not how they're intended to be made. Exactly. And I know musicians are quite firm on if you're going to listen to it, do it on a nice speaker or with nice headphones or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to experience it as fully as possible. Yeah, exactly. It's a more satisfying experience and more more room for the art. Exactly. The more yeah. room in your attention. Yeah. Because like with the music, let's say you have the nice headphones on, you can't Ooh. hear much else. So it's like the whole sense outside of that, mm-hmm. the actual song is is removed from you. And with yeah. movies, it's like, it's a dark room. All you can see is that. That's the whole point. Yeah. Unless you have Tommy Texter beside you, checking his WhatsApp. Yeah, don't talk, talk to me about him. Um, and I also think it, this is a bit dramatic, but I feel like it expands our human experience. Like you, you probably won't get to all the wonders of the world. You can't get to all the ancient wonders of the world they don't exist anymore but in vr you perhaps could and it, i do think there's something to be said about making the most of our time alive and like consuming as much art and as much history and as much interesting things things that interest us as possible and i think vr helps with that a bit right but then if i was offered a vr tour of like ancient athens tomorrow yeah. i would take it of course because mm-hmm. i can't go there um, but there's obviously a lot of associated threats with that. Mm. Threats to humanity. <laughs> the cons. Yes. <laughs> Before we get into those, I'm going to refer people to our Metaverse episode that we did mm-hmm. during the degrowth series. I think it was just called What's Wrong with the Metaverse or something like that. Yeah. It was when that was breaking the news. And thankfully, to be honest, it seems like for the time being, at least pop culture has similarly rebuked it along with yeah. us because I haven't heard much about the Metaverse mm-hmm. uh, since then. But I'm sure it'll come back in another evil guise at some point. Yeah. So cons um, of immersion and especially increased immersion. That's what I was thinking about because I've thought quite a lot in the past about the form of stories as in whether you're reading a book or watching a movie or listening to an audio book, all these things have different levels of engagement with us. Reading, I think, is one of the more active things you can do with regards to stories because you have to be understanding the words as you look at them. I mean, we've all been there where you're just looking at a page and not actually reading it. 
but that doesn't really happen with like a movie so often. I mean, you can glaze yeah. over, but for the most part, it's a lot easier to watch. I mean, probably the most passive is listening to an audiobook, which mm -hmm. is funny because it's just the read out version of the written mm -hmm. word, but you can do anything while you're doing yeah. that and still be kind of paying attention. Mm -hmm. And that's something about our senses. But with regards to increased immersion, I, I think aside from virtual reality, honestly, we're, we're not that much more immersed in stories, in individual stories today than we were, say, 50 years ago. Yeah. I think, if anything, maybe our average level of immersion in movies, in books, mm -hmm. in audiobooks, in video games, in whatever it has gone down, because now we are perennially distracted. Our attention spans are smaller. There's like a shocking amount of people who are uh, two screening or double screening, meaning mm -hmm. while they watch something, they're reading about it on Twitter or something. Yeah. So that's like the opposite of immersion almost. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really fascinating. Uh, obviously, VR is excluded from this because I don't think it's so widespread mm -hmm. yet or if it will be. But now it's like, it's not so much our experiential spatial immersion that's increasing. It's like how time immersed in the things like mm. the Stranger Things. Maybe there was a big TV show in the 80s that everyone was watching. They were engrossed in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. They were engrossed in it, but also it was a once a week thing and then it's done. But mm -hmm. with, with Stranger Things, I think we can binge it, we can rewatch it infinitely. Mm -hmm. And you can also be um, staying in that world and with those characters online by reading about it on Twitter or watching the interviews on YouTube or the bloopers, the outtakes, reading mm -hmm. about it. There's just, we're immersed in all these other ways Yeah. Um, that take our time, but not so much really our, um, all of our attention, like perhaps mm -hmm. things used to more often. Yeah. I really like that point. It's, it's like we're never away from the stories basically is what yeah, it is. It's like you go about your day, you're working in the office nine to five, but every hour you're on Twitter and you see a behind the scenes post yeah. from someone in the show or what have you. And it's like, Oh, and then it makes you think about that for like a couple minutes. And I feel like we don't realize how these disparate moments of like three minutes of our thoughts can add up through the day. Mm. I recently reread a book called how to live on 24 hours a day. And it really reminded me of this fact because it was written 1919, I think, like it was, it's very old. So obviously pre-internet, free phones, everything like that. But it was saying, you have probably three hours a day where you're just thinking. So it's important to, at the beginning of the day, set an intention for your thoughts yeah. to choose a news story, to choose a idea to meditate on whenever you have your brain wandering. And I've been trying to implement that, but it's so hard because those four minutes of free thought are always just occupied with your phone. You're like, it's only four minutes. I have four minutes before my bus comes. But if you have this intention for the beginning of your day to carry through as like a thread, yeah. it adds up into three hours of thinking about this concept. And then at the end of the day, you have something solid that you yeah. can almost show for it. And I also think that we often make the mistake fall into the trap of thinking that, that watching that um, cast video from Stranger Things is a productive way of thinking because it's like well maybe i'm a creative and i like mm -hmm. the stranger things you know it inspires me or whatever yeah and my my personal anecdote for that is that i used to be a big doctor who fiend for those who don't know that's like a long-running uh sci-fi show from england that has a lot of global appeal though it's about yeah. like time traveling and seeing different worlds and aliens and things like this saving the world generally and i used to watch that a lot when i was a kid and i remember like watching it live as it came out and i would watch it every week uh with my family every saturday i think it was on and then at, at like my peak interest from Saturday to Saturday, I was thinking about it a lot as in like, 
brainstorming episodes and like drawing different creatures and stuff and drawing robots and just generally being creative within the realm of the world. Like I think that's a really positive thing that kids and mm -hmm. adults alike can, can both do. But then I think that as an adult, let's say, if I was still into that so much, the, the properties, the films, the television that I am interested in now, I spend a little bit more time than when I was a kid um, genuinely reading about it, the behind the scenes, the production, what the cast is saying, interviews, things like this. And it actually detracts from what was maybe more productive time exercising those creative mm -hmm. muscles rather than what is ultimately quite useless encyclopedic information. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like there comes a point in life that it's like, I, I think being childish is always good. Like, I think we need to be more childlike, but there is a point where you're 25 and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, if I, if I am inspired by this, I need to do something about it. I need to make my Doctor Who episode. Yeah. No, but I mean, if someone isn't in Hollywood, mm -hmm. but they want to, like fanfic, fan fiction yeah. is a good example of that. Like, I think that's healthy and, mm -hmm. and productive use of your time. It's like, yeah. If you enjoy doing it, it's creative. And I don't mean everyone has to be creative all the time, but I just think sometimes mm -hmm. we need to question, as we often say on the show, we need to question the things that we're watching and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, is it just because, is it just to kind of check off a box? It's mm -hmm. like, well, the show's come out, might as well watch the interview, yeah. things like this. Yeah. Um, my other point about immersion is like our immersion in the real world, otherwise known as mindfulness, mm -hmm. because while I don't think we're watching movies as intended, maybe as we were when we could only see them in the theaters, i.e. we're not watching movies with the same level of immersion, like that artistic immersion has actually gone down. Um, we're also not as immersed in the world as we used to be. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like an intrusion where we're not fully focusing on anything, really. Mm -hmm. I don't think the word mindfulness being so widespread and so much of an issue is a good thing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of practices that are very helpful for people, meditation, one of them. Mm -hmm. For sure. I was preparing for this question and something I saw listed as a pro was that it was better than reality. Do you agree or disagree with that as a pro? Well, what are we talking about? What's like best than VR reality? VR is better than reality. Or watching a movie is better than reality. <laughs> I disagree with that as a pro. I think it's dangerous yeah of course um there's been a lot of studies done on how people feel after using vr and most people report feelings of worthlessness <laughs> and so i was like okay because i feel like we keep implementing these technologies without doing adequate research on their long-term effects because it's really hard to because it's profitable yeah it's like putting out the new iphone is better than doing a 20-year study on it. Like, no one's going to do that. Yeah. But it really, I feel like we need to be a little more afraid of what it's going to do to us. I agree, I agree. And as you said with the metaverse, it is good that there's a pushback. But I think how these things proliferate society is by appealing to kids through the they take the Happy Meal. The youth, yeah. And then when they grow up, they're buying Big Macs. Ooh. You know? Nicely put. Because I'm sure when... Well, I don't know about McDonald's. I'll just use that as an example, though. When it came out, adults were probably like, no, I'm not buying this. I'm not going to buy these burgers every meal, even though they're cheap. The kids were into well, it, at, and it was easy. Look at Pokemon. Yeah. Like, all our parents used to hate Pokemon, mm -hmm. but now we're the parents, so parents now are buying Pokemon because yeah. they were raised with it. Like, exactly. It's like that. Yeah. So I fear that <laughs> with VR. 
because it's like, oh no, we realize that it needs to be studied, that it could damage our brains, it could damage our society, it could damage how things function, but then our kids are going to be buying it. And so it's a, a whole thing. Um, and again, I'd recommend people listen to the Metaverse episode. <laughs> yeah. We, we dismantle it with a little bit more forethought. Yeah, exactly. Is, are you finished with that question? I had one more uh, that was said... Often it's like, okay, VR is good because you can train doctors in yeah, rural yeah. areas and you can mm-hmm. train for the military. But it, in reality, it's not actual training and apparently it does have a lot of... Like, people who come out of, like, a correspondence training are less well, of course. prepared to be in the field. Like, there's probably so many people listening to this who did online school who are like, yeah, I am less prepared than my coworkers who had the online or the in-person experience. It's like we don't like to admit it because it's like obviously you don't want to feel like you've been gypped, like you've been <laughs> like um, that you're inadequately prepared for your workplace. But it's like we need to acknowledge that. Strive for the best. Yeah. Strive for the best. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the final question was about what will comedy be like in the solo scene. Mm-hmm. I kind of broke it down into five different tenets. Okay. Um, so I'll just run through those maybe quite quickly because I'm hungry. And after the episode, we're going to eat. So um, the, fa- I just, the order that I wrote them down in, the first one was that the dominant form of comedy in the solo scene will not be anonymous memes, tweets, TikToks, etc. Because I don't like the idea that the internet is just this black void and mm-hmm. it's making jokes all the time and we don't know who's making them really. Yeah. I remember, I'm, I'm always thinking about how, I'm sure other people our age and younger will relate, when you find a meme or a video and... You just you just find it. It's like where did it come from? Out of mm-hmm. the void. It just it's been, it's been spat at you by the algorithm. Yeah. And it'll be like I don't know, making fun of someone or like some funny skit, and you show it to your parents, or someone older, and they'll maybe laugh with you, maybe they won't, and they'll say, "Oh, you made that." And you'll yeah. be like, "I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there'll be some random Twitter handle, and you'll be like, "I don't know who that is." Don't don't worry yeah. about that. It's like maybe we should think about that mm-hmm. a little bit more. And this actually goes along with. The second point, which is that comedy will be more local. Mm-hmm. And if this is like, all well, comedy is political now, it's like, that's fine, but maybe it should be local politics rather yeah. than the seat of power 800 miles away that I don't know anything about. I had that as a point as well, like local comedy. Yeah. That's important. And it's like, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But I always find the funniest people, not the people on stand-up stages, the people who are in your life who are funny. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And the thing with this is that, like the reason that I think things like SNL are so big mm-hmm. is because the well the rationale is like well we have all the best comedians under one mm-hmm. roof all like in America so yeah. you're never going to get that in your small town but I, I kind of disagree because there's like hundreds and thousands of funny people on the internet mm-hmm. and the internet is actually a good technology for finding these people and letting their cream rise to top a little bit yeah so you don't need to go to SNL it's like every City can just have its own SNL and they'll be roasting local figures and that will mm-hmm. be funny. Like that's yeah. how they used to do it in, in ancient Athens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, an example I had for this was our old university mm-hmm. has a meme page on Instagram, right? Yeah. And it's very funny. It is very funny. Because it's like, these are all things that I know of. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be funnier if that was a stand-up guy at the university? Yeah. It would be funny. Exactly. Um I had a lot of thoughts about this, so maybe I'll like revisit some of them next week. But I wanted to see what laughter was, what comedy was, <laughs> because it seems very strange that it's universal. Like yeah. that laughing is just a thing everyone does. People who 
are born deaf laugh pretty much the same as people who are hearing. Yeah, it is weird. Which is like kind of crazy, but it's just this natural response, just like yawning or like grunting. And the theory that they have about this is that it's a false alarm theory. So it's like, okay, you're ancient times. There's an approaching threat. The person who's on watch starts making noise and saying, there's a threat coming, there's a threat coming. But then they realize that it's just the guy who was sent out to fetch water three days ago returning home. And it's like they don't have language, so they start laughing. And laughing is the response to a broken expectation, Hmm. which is like what it is. And um, Kant also theorized about this much more recently. And so it's a lot of, so that's like the core of what comedy is. It's an expectation being broken. It's not something being crude necessarily doesn't have to be associated with things that it often is ex- <laughs> that it often is associated with these days. And I think in the solo scene, it'll be a lot less extreme because we'll be less saturated in it. We won't have to yeah, that was listen one of my to um, Pete Skeet Davidson. <laughs> we don't have to listen to him talking about such extreme things. Um, no, we, I, the, yeah. yeah. The point that I had, well, actually I had two points. One was that, our lives for the most part will just be more purposeful and meaningful and we'll be doing work that we actually care about. So yeah. our minds will be wandering. And so everything, like not everything will be comedy. Because mm-hmm. now I feel like when you interact with people, everything is just all jokes. Mm-hmm. Like everything's all laughs and nothing's yeah. serious and everything's quite frivolous. Mm-hmm. And I love laughing. I, I love comedy. But I just think that um, life is very, life is quite serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should take life seriously, should I, should I say. Yeah. Exactly. And this doesn't mean that there's no time for gallivanting because mm-hmm. I can gallivant with the best of them. Oh, yeah. But I also think that that shouldn't be our whole existence. And yeah. um, the other point with this overexposure is things like advertisements. Mm-hmm. Those are just all, like commercials are just always a joke. Yeah. But it's like they're not funny. Yeah. But we're so bombarded with them that mm-hmm. maybe the things that we do find funny um, become more extreme. Yeah. And the other point with this is that satire is quite broken now i think in the in the public sense and in the solo scene people will have much more of an earnest enthusiasm and appreciation and just trust and belief in the institutions that form the fabric of the world and the stories indeed Mm -hmm. so when it comes time to make fun of them we'll be laughing like because that's funny it's satire and it's making fun of church like, like that's what it used to be, right? It's like there's yeah. a comedian that's like making fun of church and it's funny and everyone's mm-hmm. laughing because it's like we all go to church, yeah. but we recognize that these things are silly and stuff. Mm-hmm. But now it's like no one goes to church and I'm not just talking religious. It's like now no one really believes in everything, mm-hmm. in anything. So we are always, like everything's satire now. Everything we say mm-hmm. is always just making fun of other mm-hmm. things. There isn't anything that we honestly believe in. Yeah. And so the idea of going to a dedicated play or movie or stand-up routine that's all satire is, there's just no point to it. Yeah. Like, all life is satire now. I agree. Sounds so, like, dark. Yeah. I'll just go through my last points about this in the solo scene, is that I have an idea. We bring back joke books. <laughs> Did you have joke books at your house? Yes. Yeah, I loved those. I love going to a friend's house, and they have a new joke book, so their dad would be reading it <laughs> um, to us, and it would just be so funny, because they were silly, but it was just silly. Like, I like being silly. Yeah. Another idea is that everyone, this is obviously an exaggeration, but being in a stand-up troupe or in a theater troupe or in a karaoke night would be a lot more normal. Mm. And there would be less, you only do those things if you're 
very extroverted and or you're under the influence of some kind of a oh, substance yeah, yeah, of course um because it one that makes it exclusive mm. to a decent amount of people depending on age or preference and i think that it isn't necessary i think the reason that it is necessary is because we don't like being silly like yeah physically silly like i think our like it will bring back kind of physical comedy and if everyone's in a stand-up troupe, no one's going to be making fun of you. Well, just physicality in general and yeah. touch. And in so as we've already talked about, people will be more comfortable being talking in front of people, being on stage, mm-hmm. being in groups, just generally a little bit more extroverted. Yeah. So I think bringing that back. And yeah, just being cautious of the power of jokes. I feel like that's how Trump got elected. Obviously, this is a conversation for another day. <laughs> the power but I think of memes. The power of memes. There was a study done on it of... They asked a group of people if they would do something bad because they don't want to go there. But they, if they would do something bad and they all said they rated it on a zero to 100, would they be willing to do it? Then they heard a joke about it or a routine about it and then rated their willingness and it all went up. Yeah. So it's like, that's not good. And I think we need to either be cautious going into it that this can have an influence on my beliefs mm. Um, or just, yeah, change kind of the content of the jokes. Yeah, comedy can definitely normalize things. And also we are what we pretend to be. So when mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm not really being mean. I'm just pretending. It's like, actually, mm-hmm. you are being mean. Right? And yeah. if you're not, then you will be soon. Yes. Um, my other point about that, like the seriousness of jokes, is that this is like a bonus thought in the solo scene. <laughs> Hopefully no more joking or not so widespread, at least, about how awful life is, how tired we are, mm-hmm. um, how we want to kill ourselves, that kind of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? I really don't like how that's like, the it's almost like the hello in our generation mm. it's like <sighs> <laughs> like when you get to or when you get to work or school on monday yeah i don't want to be here i'd rather be anywhere else <laughs> kill Six me feet under kill me now yeah <laughs> why do we do good. this um yeah the sense of this is a whole conversation but yeah just a lighter sense of humor Oh, that's a funny shape, as you always say. Yeah, or... this is um, that was my <laughs> final thing. And I actually think we're, this isn't just a, in the solo scene. This is something that I'm noticing in, in certain places now as on the rise, which is this almost like this new frontier of, I'll call it uh, slapstick nouveau or something okay. like that, the new wave. It's like slapstick and randomness and absurdism, I think, is growing as people get tired of the intertextuality or always uh, reference humor mm. which is like oh you know this thing that's so funny yeah um i think people are kind of yeah some people anyway are getting a little bit tired of that and i think in the in the years to come we'll be getting more and more tired of that and so we'll just start laughing at silly shapes mm-hmm. or i was thinking about one of the one of the first memes probably I ever sent you was a <laughs> it still <laughs> makes me laugh thinking about it now it was called bees chugger yeah. It was a cheeseburger with the buns and the patty reversed, like yeah. flipped. <laughs> and it, that was just the, the whole meme, it was just the word. And it was just a funny thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, all what, that's all it was. Yeah, I think Yeah. So I think that's funny. It is funny. So I feel like we need another question for next week. I'm trying to think of one. Perhaps how will we tell stories in the solo scene? Something sure. like that. Very big. Yeah. Pretty much the whole uh, topic of the no, semester, but, like, but I mean the the medium around a campfire. Uh, what about this? What about this? Create a new medium. Okay, I like that. So thank you all for listening. Field notes sign up is in the description. 
we appreciate you all so much. You make my heart very happy. <laughs> so see you all next week. Bye.